Would you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke verse by verse for about 10 months now, ever since last December. When we came to the section of chapter 9, verse 51, all the way through chapter 19, verse 27, we're really looking at Luke's emphasis on the teachings of Christ. Before that, we had the coming of Christ in the beginning chapters of Luke, and then the works of Christ, the miracles of Christ. We're seeing Jesus doing what God does. We saw the powerful works of Christ in the miracles. In this section, chapter 9, verse 51, through chapter 19, verse 27, it's focused on the teachings of Christ. There's a lot of parables. And we've been breaking down the teachings into some major sections. One is on prayer. And we've been in, uh, this is our seventh week uh, in the teachings of Jesus on prayer. Uh, next week, we're going to have a Reformation message on October 31st. Uh, and then we'll move right back into Luke uh, with a focus on money and possessions. Jesus says a lot about money and possessions, and so we're going to bring that together. And then we'll be looking at how Jesus sees the least of these and how we're to treat the least of these uh, all around us. So today we're looking at persistent prayer, very much like the passage in Luke 11 that we saw last week. We'll see persistent prayer from Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray for a powerful work of your Holy Spirit today as the word goes forth. Will you take it and implant it deep in our hearts and change our lives? We pray for uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the word and in the hearing of the word. Lord, would you have your way among us for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
In Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, he writes this. He says, during the 1980s, some of you can relate, some of you weren't born yet. During the 1980s, more than 17,000 members of a major evangelical denomination were surveyed about their prayer habits while attending seminars on prayer for spiritual awakening. Because they attended this kind of seminar, we can assume these people are above average in their interest in prayer. And yet, the surveys revealed that they pray an average of less than five minutes each day. There were 2,000 pastors and wives at these seminars. By their own admission, they pray less than seven minutes a day. It's very easy to make people feel guilty about failure in prayer. And that's not the intent of this chapter, he says. But we must come to grips with the fact that to be like Jesus, we must pray. Now, I'm not going to take a survey here this morning, but I would suspect that many of you, when you heard those words, you either tried to justify yourself against them, saying, well, I pray more than that, or you were relating to the reality that we don't pray as we ought. H.P. Charles says this, prayer is the Christian's duty. It should also be the Christian's delight. And maybe you feel like today, I know it's my duty, but I don't find much delight in it. I say the same things over and over, and I get tired of hearing myself. Can anybody relate to that? And you wouldn't want to tell anybody that you're bored when you pray, but God knows your heart. Sometimes we get bored. Sometimes we pray the same things for ourselves, for our family, for the things that are going on right around us. And we repeat ourselves over and over, and we get bored in asking. We get tired of hearing ourselves asking. We start doubting. Is God tired of hearing me ask about these same things? And we learned last week that no, he's not. He's not like the friend who won't get up in the middle of the night because of the asking. No, he delights to hear us pray. He's moved quickly by our prayers, but many times he delays so that he grows us and matures us and teaches us so that we pray and persevere in prayer. We've been looking at persistent prayer. And the reality is we don't persist much in prayer. We're easily distracted and easily discouraged and we quit real easily 
In Luke chapter 18, Luke says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Isn't it helpful when we know exactly what the purpose of the parable is? Luke tells us. He tells us why he told them this story, this parable, to make a point. And the point is this. He says, to the effect that to the end that, for the purpose of, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Two things. They ought always to pray. We know that, right? We know that we're to pray without ceasing. We see it in the scriptures. Paul says it over and over again in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Can't get any clearer than that. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us, that we pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So pray without ceasing, be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Steadfastness in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18 Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Jude, verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So being constant in prayer, pray without ceasing, being watchful in prayer, praying at all times in the Spirit, keeping alert with all perseverance, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. You might be wondering, what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Wayne Grudem says to pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray with the conscious awareness of God's presence surrounding us and sanctifying both us and our prayers. And there's a dependence upon the Lord as we pray. A trusting even that the Holy Spirit will help us pray effectual prayers. And again, you might say, I know it's my duty. I, I know I'm supposed to pray without ceasing, but I struggle. I don't always pray without ceasing. I, I, I give up. I'm distracted. And thinking about the quote from Don Whitney's book in the 1980s, I would say, how much more are we distracted today? They didn't have cell phones back then to search the internet and get instant 
news at their fingertips. They weren't distracted by YouTube videos. They weren't distracted by Twitter and TikTok and all of that. And yet they admitted at a prayer conference, they prayed less than five minutes a day and pastors and wives prayed less than seven minutes a day. It would be hard to define that as praying without ceasing. So Jesus tells a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart and not grow weary, not give up, not get discouraged. As we mentioned last week, to not let up and to not let go. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Notice that she was not saying, give me vengeance against my adversary. She was a vulnerable woman, a widow, who was asking for what was right, justice. And she kept coming to this unrighteous judge that the Lord Jesus describes him. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Literally, give me a black eye by her continual coming. She was relentless. She wouldn't stop. And the Lord says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. The the unrighteous judge says, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That's what the unrighteous judge said. And Jesus says, listen to what he said. Hear what he said. And then he contrasts our father. And he says, and will not God give justice to his elect? See, this unrighteous judge had no connection with this woman. She kept coming to him over and over again. And by his ill motives, whatever they were, he granted her justice just to stop her bothering And yet God is so different. And will not God give justice to his elect? Notice what Jesus does. He connects the people of God with their father. His elect. His chosen ones. And you might just pass over that and say, oh, uh, 
that's controversial elect. I'm going to keep moving. No, dig in because it's precious. There's a truth there that is so precious that I don't want you to miss. Whenever you see that word, there is a connection between deep love and election. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this, Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, brothers, loved by God that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You'll you'll find those two things together. Loved by God, we know that he's chosen you. How? Because our gospel, when it came to you, came with power and full conviction. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the same thing in Ephesians 1. His love and his election are tied together. And it takes us back to an, an Old Testament reality in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that we learn in Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that, are, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." Election and love go right together. And it's not because you did anything or God saw that you could be anybody. It was because God set his love on you according to his gracious purposes. That's it. He loved you because he loved you. It was his divine initiative. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter Two, but you are a, cho- a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. All of this is Old Testament covenant language now applied to the church. In Jesus Christ, you are the treasured possession of the Lord, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen race that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see what Jesus is doing? He's contrasting the unrighteous judge with our heavenly Father who is so generous and so gracious and so good and so loving. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? The implied answer is no, he will not delay. Notice the contrast with the unrighteous judge. He delayed long. 
And yet Jesus says that God will not delay long. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And you might say, what is he talking about? You see, this encouragement for persistent prayers in the context of Jesus teaching about the second coming of Christ. The coming of the kingdom. In chapter 17, verses 20 and following, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here, he, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to, to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And, there, and they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus is talking about his death on the cross. This must first take place before the glorious coming and the bringing of the kingdom in full. And he says this, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It's, it's going to come unexpectedly. People are not looking. They're completely unaware. They're pursuing all of their pleasures in the world. They have no awareness of the kingdom coming. And it's going to be just like that when Jesus comes back. The unrighteous will not be ready. They will be doing whatever they want to do for their own pleasure and Jesus is going to come unexpectedly, and it will be a terrifying day. It will be a day of judgment. But the question for the church is, will we be ready? Will we be watchful? Will we be alert and awake? Peter says, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. What's he talking about? Is he talking about the end of the letter? No, he's talking about the end of all things. The end. The eschaton. In fact, we learn 
in the book of Acts that with the inauguration of the kingdom of Christ in his life and ministry, his death and resurrection, we saw at Pentecost the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And Peter tells us what's going on there. And he takes us back to Joel and he says, this is what's happening. And Joel says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What we see is we've been in the last days ever since the inauguration of the kingdom, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We have been in the last days. And the end of all things is at hand And therefore, we are to be alert. We are to be watchful. And that's what Jesus is teaching them this parable for. So that in the last days, we would be diligent and persistent. That we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And not grow weary, not grow discouraged. If you turn over a couple of pages from this passage in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, Jesus says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That's what Jesus is talking about. Will he find faith on the earth? Will his people be faithful and ready, alert and awake, watchful, And I would say that many of us today have grown so distracted. And we've grown discouraged. Maybe a little dull. The word dull describes fat ears in the Old Testament. Dull of hearing. We're not paying attention. We're not listening. We've grown a little disillusioned as well. So what do we do to obey? We know that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. We know that. It's our duty. But how can, as H.B. Charles Jr. said, our duty also be our delight? I would say two things. First of all, let's take our eyes off of ourselves and our surrounding circumstances and lift our eyes to the King. I want you to think about Isaiah chapter 6 and the context there. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Well, Uzziah was a good king who had lived a long time and reigned a long time. There was peace in the land. There was military might. 
The people felt safe and secure under the leadership of King Uzziah, and he died. The temptation would be to despair. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne. I saw the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. He saw the king high and lifted up. And and he says, my eyes have seen the king. And in John chapter 12, we learn a little bit what was happening there. In fact, John tells us that Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus Christ, the priest king seated on the throne. He saw Jesus in his glory. That was the vision of Christ. And we need to lift our eyes and see the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, seated on the throne, accomplishing all of his holy will, bringing all things to completion in accordance with his will. And it changes everything. When we see Christ high and lifted up, It's not as easy to be distracted by the lures of the world when we're enamored with God's glory revealed to us in Jesus. We talked about last week, we're so prone to go after small things, little things. We're too easily satisfied. But if we can see Jesus high and lifted up, all of those other things fade The temporal nature of all of the pleasures of this life fade when we see Christ high and lifted up. So maybe one thing is today or in the days to come, you need to see Jesus high and lifted up. And and I would say go to four verses, four sections of Scripture. John chapter 1, read it and see Jesus high and lifted up. Colossians chapter 1, look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, look at Jesus Christ. And Hebrews chapter 1, and and meditate and dwell on who God is for us in Christ. It will change your prayer life when you see God as He is. But secondly, when you see yourself in Christ, it will change your prayer life. Remember what Jesus said? And will not God give justice to his elect? See Jesus high and lifted up and and what he has done for you in, in love. He has redeemed you through his life, death, and resurrected resurrection and God has granted you faith to believe he's brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light but you need to remember who you are in Christ and we're so prone to forget we find our identity in everything around us 
when our identity is in Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that, that we are the beloved of the Lord, chosen, loved by God the Father, kept for Him. He will not let us go. Remember who you are in Christ. What are some practical ways to, as we talked about earlier, not get bored with saying the same prayers over and over and, and not get, grow weary so that we could persevere and obey this that we ought always to pray and not give up, not lose heart. There's a little book out there that I would commend to you. It's called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. It's a small book, but it could be life-changing for you because it shows you how to take a passage of Scripture, specifically the Psalms, and turn it into a prayer to make the words of God that he has revealed become your own prayers and meditate on those words and pray them back to the Father. And you can pray the same things for your same concerns, your children, your career, a big decision that's coming up. You can pray those same things, but with the words of Scripture, allowing the Holy Spirit to use His words to inform your thoughts as you pray them back to God. And you will find it's endless. Yes, you pray the same things, but not with the same words. It's the same words that are making you bored. What if you were to pray God's words? Meditate on his word and pray it back to the Father. John Piper says this. He says, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to the neglect of this truth Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. And maybe your prayer life has malfunctioned. And maybe it's because you've been using it to just call up for comforts, more comforts in your life. And maybe it's become, because you've become so distracted with the world and so enamored with the world, and that's what you want. And that's why your heart has grown dull. And that's why you become disillusioned. Does God even hear? Does God even care? Let's see prayer for what it is, intimate communication with our Heavenly Father who loves us, 
who is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And he has a mission for us, a purpose for us to declare his excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light and to wait knowing that he is coming. I'll close with this from 2 Peter. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where's the promise of his coming? He said he's coming, but yet we don't see him coming. So we give up. We get distracted. We're not watchful. And Peter says, but don't, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, beloved. The elect of God, he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are on, done on it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God? Jesus would say, be watchful in prayer. Wake up, be alert, don't get distracted, don't get allured by the things of the world. Be ready, be faithful. He says, will the Son of Man find faith when He comes? May He find us faithful and alert and ready. Let's pray until He comes. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would help us Lord, forgive us for how distracted we have been with earthly pleasures and earthly pursuits. Lord, help us to believe your promises e even when people all around us doubt, mock, scoff. Lord Jesus, you have said that you will return and we believe it. So help us to pray like we believe it. Help us to not grow weary, not get discouraged, but to persevere, to be persistent in prayer for your glory, the advance of your kingdom, and ultimately the coming of your kingdom for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name.
Amen.